Welcome to the Seasoned Athlete Podcast, your home for stories, inspiration, and advice from athletes over 40. I'm your host, Robin Leggett. I'm a later-in-life athlete who became a roller derby skater in my 30s and a runner and obstacle racer in my 40s. Now, I'm an athletic aging coach who helps women over 40 experience the massive life benefits that come with exploring your athletic potential at any age and any fitness background. If that fires you up, keep listening. Let's do this. Today, I'm excited to welcome former surgeon turned ultra runner and mountain challenge conqueror, Angela White, aka the running granny to the seasoned athlete podcast. In the last nine years, Angela has gone from taking up running for the very first time at age 53 to having an impressive set of ultra achievements under her belt. Starting with a 32 mile event in 2013, she progressed through 50, 100, and 190 mile challenges, all leading up to her 875 mile John O'Groats to lands and success in 2019 and a 62 at 62 birthday challenge that she completed this year year. Passionate about promoting action for healthy aging, her message is simple. Just about anything is achievable if you take small steps, which is exactly how she got started. So let's get right to it. Here's my conversation with the running granny herself, Angela White. Hi, Angela. Are you ready to drop some seasoned athlete knowledge on our listeners today? Well, I can certainly give some knowledge. So yes, I'm, I'm very pleased to help. <laughs> well, I am pleased to have you here. You are Angela White, aka the running granny. Um, and I, you know, I don't want to give away too much of your story because I think, I think it'll be good for you to tell it. But um, I, so all I'm going to say is you are an ultra runner. And I think you are the first uh, grandma ultra runner that I've had on the podcast in over four years, I think. I'd have to look back. I've done a lot of episodes, so. Oh, well, that's, thank you. Well, I'm, I'm really honored to be here, and I think that's a great precedent to set. So yes. I, I, there are plenty of running grannies out there, even if they don't call themselves that. So I hope yeah. you find more. <laughs> I, I definitely, you know, I have some grannies that have been on the show of various sports, um, and some of them run, but your your resume is really, really impressive. And we're going to get into that and how you got to this place. Uh, but first, I'm going to ask you the question I ask all my guests, and that is, what is your age at this moment in time? So this year I was 62. Fantastic. All right. So let's go back in time. Let's, let's find out how you got started. Um, back when you were a child, were you into sports? Were you athletic growing up? No, not, 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 not really. I was when I look back now, I know that I was strong. So I can remember um, doing gymnastics and things like that. So one, one of the things in particular that I could do and I would spend my playtime doing was walking on my hands the length of the playground and back. And it never, ever struck me at, at all. I did because you don't know when you're a child. I mean, I'm talking about I was probably seven or eight when I used to do that. Um you don't really know what you know what you do, but it was just something I enjoyed doing. Um, but I wasn't. Um, I was. I, I was. Um, I suppose I was more academic. I wasn't popular. Um, I'd we'd moved. We'd moved a number of times, so I was late to that particular school. Um, and everybody had made their friends. And as I say, I was more academic, so I was bullied quite a lot. And I 
when it came to teams, the way the schools they operated, they would have um, they they pick a couple of the children and say, right, you know, you're the team captain, choose your team. Mm-hmm. And I was always <laughs> one of the last to be picked. And so you place your you 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 ju- you make a judgment about yourself on that basis, don't you? So my judgment yeah. was that I I wasn't. Um, I wasn't a sporty child. I wasn't worthy of being picked, you know, in whatever thoughts what one has at, at that age. Um, because I was, you know, had I been good at sport, I imagined I would have been picked first, but it wasn't because of that. They simply picked people on popularity. Right, and, right. So, no, and and I wasn't, even as I went on into, you know, um, the sort of the, the secondary school, I wasn't, um, I, I, I Particularly, again, I could do gymnastics, um, but uh, I wasn't particularly sporty. Um, I did ride. I did. I, I, I mean, I could play netball and I could play hockey, but again, I wasn't in the teams. wasn't picked for the teams. Um, absolutely hated the days when we could. We weren't, or whenever the season was, when we had to supposedly do cross country. We'd. I'd be one of those who would run out of the school gates, just get out of sight, and then walk. <laughs> It's so like I'm hearing myself in your story in like so many different ways. Like I was the kid that was picked last. I did not consider myself sporty in any Mm. sense. But like you look back and you see like oh the signs were actually kind of there. You know like you're 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 talking about it's like you know I wasn't on any teams but I could play hockey. I could play netball. I could do this. I I could walk on my hands like (laughs) across the whole yard. Um, And so it's like it's interesting to look back you know, and anybody can do this. And, and when you you're sitting here, like not identifying as, as an athlete or not, you know, it's like, I didn't get picked for teams because as you said, same situation with me, I wasn't popular either. So they weren't picking me. And I'm over here thinking I'm not good enough to play sports, obviously, because they're not picking me. Um, But like, you can look back and be like, oh, but I actually did this. And oh, wait, I did this too. Oh, huh. I didn't even like think about that because I'm too busy telling myself that I'm not sporty and I'm not athletic, right? And I I did ride horses. I did too. (laughs) And I did a lot of I did I did some show jumping and but I used to love the gymkhana. I used to love the being at because I I would ride bareback and I had this one particular horse and he just loved to play and so we would do the gymkhana slalom through the bean poles or the sack race or whatever it happened to be and I'd be sliding off his back and then leaping back on again and 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 we had we had a great time so when I think back in that way I must have been you know I must have been a bit strong to be able to do all of that. Slide off a horse and jump back on. Like yeah. I did I, I went to summer camp for a number of years I did we I don't know if it's a different name uh, for you, but we called it vaulting, which is basically gymnastics on horseback. Yes. Um, and again, I'm over here saying, oh, I'm not athletic. I'm not sporty, but I was standing up on a horse at some point in time. Um, so, and doing that stuff where you jump down and I don't know if I jump back up, but, but yeah, you're doing all this stuff. And, you know, again, walking across an entire schoolyard on your hands, you must be pretty strong. Um, but I, I was then I couldn't, I couldn't do it now. I think oh, just sure. getting, just getting upside down now. And I go under. <laughs> yeah. You're like once upon a time I did this, but, but yeah. yeah, you look back and you're like, oh, I, I just thought it was fun, but I must've been pretty strong. Cause I was, I was doing this thing. So, yeah. So taking it on from there, I really didn't do anything. I got into my teens and I, and I was then, 
I didn't do any sport again, probably of any description until my early 20s. And I did or early to mid 20s and I played a bit of squash, um, but nothing, nothing that was particularly enduring. Um, I became I changed careers. I went to med. I, I was um, in the computer industry initially and then in my um, early thir- early 30s I went to medical school um, and uh, I did play I did play a little bit of squash there not 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 much just sort of friendly social stuff with with one or two of the, the other students after I qualified as a doc there wasn't a lot of time after I qualified as a doctor initially when I started training as uh, to be to, to do orthopedics, to be an, training to be an orthopedic surgeon. I started going to a gym at that point because I needed to keep strong. But really that was um, that was the focus. It, it was it was more more job focused that I went to the gym um, uh, you know a few times a week just to sort of keep my keep my strength up. Um, and then a whole variety of things. I moved. I moved the family north to live in the Lake District, and um, work just got busier and busier. And into my forties, then there was family illness, and um, I had three family members all sick at the same time, and then they all died within a four-month space of time. And I just threw myself into, um, I'd been supported, trying to support them and support other family members. And I just threw myself into my work after that. It was a horrible period. And then in my late 40s, I kept getting glimpses of this person that I'd become, but never having the time to truly stop and look at myself. And... Work got busier and busier, and I get got various extra projects and extra jobs to do at work. So I found myself overworked with no time to myself. I put on an awful lot of weight, um, and I was really quite unhealthy and quite unhappy, um, and very unfit. <laughs> and because I didn't do anything other than work home and you know once children sorted i would get back on with whatever work you know computer work needed to doing for work you were in that cycle Um, yeah in that in that cycle and um there came a point where i i just started to get some just some niggly problems myself and i stopped and i thought if you don't do something about this you're not going to be able to look after anybody else right and i now then so I started taking what I now look back on, um, and I've categorized as my small steps, which I published. There were 30 of them, which took over two or three years to do. And when when did you start with these small steps? I was I, it would have been um it, it would have been when I was about 49. Um so um and of course. I'm now thinking as well and looking back and thinking, well, actually, at the same, all going on around that time, I was potentially perimenopausal as well. Mm. So there would have been some of that stuff in, coming into play. Right. Um, although I don't, didn't really, have never really put that into context. That's some, that's a little job I, I have to put to one side for myself to do, <laughs> um, partly because I've been asked to talk about it. And, yeah. so, and, and so I need to 
I need to actually reflect positive, you know, positively and I suppose negatively on uh, on it and see see where, where it where it all fitted and how it fitted together. But I, so, so I started walking. That was the first thing I did. I would take myself out for a walk in the evening um, for about fifteen minutes and felt as felt terribly guilty doing so. Huh. Why but, do you think? Why do you think that was? Because I was doing, I was, I was being selfish. I was doing something right. for me. How dare um, you, right? <laughs> well, there was, there, well, how could I, that's absolutely right. Because I, there were other things to be done. There were dishes yeah. to be done. There was work to be done. There were there was stuff I should probably have been doing with, you know, with the children or for somebody else anyway. And isn't, I, isn't that interesting though, that, you know, it's like, I need to start taking care of myself in order to take care of other people. And then the second you start taking care of yourself, you start feeling guilty because you're not doing Absolutely. enough for everybody Absolutely. else. Absolutely. Isn't that interesting? You know, it is a vicious, it is a bit mm-hmm. of a vicious circle, but um, it was about being having, you know, being, you know, determined to get on and do that. And then I mean, I was huffing and puffing and I started taking the, I thought, well, I could, I'd, I've always been somebody who's tried to do more than, you know, to make best use of my time, do more than one thing at a time. I think most men, you know, most mums do. Um, so I would take um, take the phone out with me and I would ring the people that I would be checking up on, my mother or my, you know, sister or whoever. And then I thought, well, as well as those calls, maybe I could reconnect with some of the people that I've, I didn't choose to ignore them, but they got ignored because there were so many other things going on. And so you then have another 20 ways to kill an idea. You know, they won't want, you know, gosh, you know, I haven't spoken to them for so long. You know, then what happens if they put the phone down on me? What happens if they, you know, they just say, who are you? What, or what do you want? Or, you know, um, a lot of mind trash happening in this small step that you're taking. And, all, and, but I made the, you know, I'm, I'm, I started to make some of those calls and reconnect with my social network. Um, and people wanted to hear from me and I was relieved and delighted. Yeah. Right. Because, and it's interesting because it's like, you know, I think motherhood and can be isolating to a certain degree and they probably were feeling a little bit similar in their own worlds, but you get so nervous about like, do they want to hear from me? You know, do they want me bothering them? Like you just get in your head about this stuff. And they're over there, like, so thankful that you reached out because they want to connect too. I think the other thing was I'd moved 250 miles away. So uh, it wasn't, I wasn't sort of occasionally passing their door to, you know, to drop in or what have you. So, and it, so I didn't move away to leave my friends behind, but you know that sort of you know happened in a way. Yeah. But anyway, I, life I, I happens. Did, life happens. Yeah. So yeah. I reconnected, um, but other small steps were um, there. Around five areas, really. It's about eating. It was about what I was drinking, my social activity, physical activity, and sleep. So I started to look at started to look at what I was doing with my diet, look what I was doing with my drink, drinking. Um, and I mean, I, I don't think I was, I wasn't particularly drinking to excess, but I was drinking more frequently than I I would have done. Um, I, I drink very rarely now, um, but uh, I think that's 
partly because I'm just partly because I'm so busy, partly because of the sport that I do. And actually, I don't particularly enjoy it. That's that's a thing that is fairly common. It's happened with me as well, that the more active you get, the the less tolerance you have for the effects of alcohol on your body. And they interfere with the things you're trying to do. Um, they interfere with your sleep that interferes with your things that you're trying to do. So, so yeah, it's a common thing that I've seen happen in with active people and with active aging people is they actually tend to not really desire alcohol as much anymore. So, yeah. So, so that, so, so that's it. So, so anyway, about three years into this, I'd lost some, I'd lost some weight. It had fallen off naturally as a consequence of the changes I'd made. So there was no big before and after photograph or anything like that. It was just, it, it, it was small changes adopted, you know, became healthy habits, became, um, just part of my natural lifestyle and yes I backslide everybody backslides you know you wouldn't be human if you didn't but you know it's part of the human condition to be frail and you have you know you have days where you just you know you eat the wrong things or what have you um but uh if you've got those habits in place as I had developed then it's very easy to get back on the wagon and carry on with them because because they're you know it's 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 your they become your go-to point so about three years into that, I saw an advert for that a lady had put out for uh, setting up a mature ladies running group. So I thought, oh, that might be interesting. So I took me three weeks before I could pick up the phone. I made a note of the number, but I couldn't ring because my 20 ways to kill an idea. Who do I think, you know, who do I think I am? Um, I'll be at the back. I'll slow everybody down. People will laugh at me. I'll look absolutely ridiculous. What will family and friends say? But eventually I did pick up the phone and I met a really inspiring lady um, who herself was uh, at that time. She was 67. Um, and I start, joined her small running group. And um Early on in that time, I discovered that she was um, training for a one of our Lake District Mountain Challenges, something called the Joss Naylor, which involves running or hiking, you know, fast hiking, 48 miles, uh, visiting 30 peaks, 30 summits and 17,000 feet of ascent. And she was doing all her, pretty much all of her wrecking on her own. And I thought this sounded rather, uh, a little bit unsafe maybe out there. So I offered to go out with her. <laughs> having Just no right idea off the bat. Just right off the bat. You're like, well, here we go. Setting myself, <laughs> what setting myself in for. So I bought my first pair of fell shoes and I joined her on. And I remember that first day, I can see it clearly, um, thinking, oh, you know, I'll never be able to keep up with her. You know, it's good. Uh, anyway, you got, your, your brain goes back and forth because it goes, you know, the, the 50 ways to kill an idea. And it's like, stop, stop, stop. But then on the other hand, you meet this woman. You're like, well, she can't go out there by herself. I have to help her. I have to help her with this really intense thing. What am I doing? Your brain, your brain is on overdrive. It is. So, um, and so I did. And I, we went out and I had, really 
forgotten or not appreciated just how fabulous it is to be up there in the mountains, sometimes above the clouds. Um, so many benefits of being of being out there, the mental health benefits, the sorting out all the problems, the 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 freedom, that feeling I get, which I certainly have this last year when I get up to a particular height or particular distance or maybe in a particular time I've been out and I suddenly have I suddenly find myself physically taking this and on physically but um involuntarily taking this huge deep breath whatever the weather and just it's as if everything just lets go it's it's so you release that overactive brain it's like you know all the trash it empties the mind trash just just what it does for me and so i then uh, i then re-taught myself i suppose how to navigate so i could get myself around and about before i knew it really i was going out quite a lot on my own and i mean i still find it <laughs> quite remarkable and <laughs> So that I can sort of think, plot, plot myself a route and then take myself around it and get quite safely back. <laughs> right. Especially but, when your first experience is like, you are not safe on your own. I'm, yes. I need to be here. And then all of a sudden you're like, or maybe I can just do this on my own. And I do. I, I spent a lot of time out there. On my, and certainly earlier this year when I was training for a challenge that I did earlier, I did in June. Um, I had to, because of our covid um restrictions not being able to go to the mountains i ended up having to what what should have been four and a half months training became about four to six weeks four to five weeks and incredibly intense because i needed to both recce the route and get myself as mountain fit as i could in that time so i was out there a lot very long days um uh earlier this year uh which which was fabulous um, was that the 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 uh Steve Parr round? Is that the Steve, that was doing that was training for the Steve Parr round, that's right. Let's talk about that while we're here. Like you did this to celebrate your 62nd birthday, correct? I did, yes. Yeah. And tell us about what this is cuz basically you've touched on the fact that you're like I instantly jumped into like big mountain ultra rucking things but we haven't really gotten specific about like the mileage uh, that you're doing um and, and the intensity of what you're doing uh elevation and mileage so let's talk specifically about the steve par round uh what exactly was this or is this uh that you were training for uh and and set out to accomplish so um well i suppose first of all i should say that I didn't always start with big mileage. I started with much smaller mileage. Okay. Um, that's probably, that's probably relieving for people listening to know that you didn't just go out and you're like, I didn't and- just go out and do the big stuff. No. Right. And, I, and going right back, I always, so the, the Joss Naylor challenge that Sandra did, I never, I didn't, I, I certainly was never sure that I would be able to do a mountain challenge uh, myself because I'm not, I'm not fast in the hills. I'm pretty rubbish on the rough ground. And because I have a bit of osteoarthritis in my left knee, plus another long-standing, uh, bit of long-standing injury from, I don't have any medial meniscus, um, it's uncomfortable coming downhill. So I cannot come downhill at speed. And the rougher the ground, the more challenging it is. 
So I, mean, I can run down, I can run a dry, dry road where I know I've got great grip on my, on my shoes or a very dry, grassy slope, that's fine. I don't mind doing that. But when it's rough and I'm at risk of doing something to that knee, I'm, I'm very careful. So I never expected to do one, but um, the steep par round is um, a, 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 a single loop. It's not a loop as such, it wiggles around the fells. Of the sixty of the sixty one um, Lake District peaks that are over two thousand five hundred feet, and so what I did was to add an extra one, <laughs> which was just under two thousand five hundred feet, four four feet short, in fact. Um, to there make a lot of two. there's just a lot of mountains where where you live. I'm realizing, yeah, but yeah, so, uh, <laughs> um, so there's six so so, sixty two peaks just in your six. area where you live. Well, I have a I have a drive to get into them, but in the in the in the Lake, the Lake District area, yes. So so I added an extra one and called it sixty two at sixty two, and um, set about um, getting strong enough to just by, you know going and climbing those hills to get strong enough to be able to to do it as a continuous round because it covers one hundred and sixteen miles, um, and one and four. In my case, I think it was 46,340 feet of ascent, something like that. And that was, and so, and that, so it was a continuous, but it was a continuous round. So. And you said you had to consolidate your training because of. I, I had to, yes. Yeah. So I, I literally went up and down and I was trying to recce the route as well, because there were uh, some of the, some of it was on. Um, could be done on recognisable paths and, and known paths and well used. But some of it, by the nature of the event, because instead it wasn't skipping around all the ridges, some of it meant literally dropping down into a valley on a uh, just on the rough ground and then climbing up out, you know, the other side, another, you know, 2,000 feet or whatever it was to get up to the next hill that you needed, you know, needed to be on. So I was trying to optimize trying to recce those routes or those uh what what lines i might take between the different points to optimize them uh in terms of you know so the young you know younger fitter elite runners will just go and bounce over all the the craggy and, and rough stuff i need to make sure i don't damage this you know don't damage this knee um and so i i need to be a little more careful about how i choose my routes but that was great. It was it was it was um, it was fun doing it. It was hard work, but I certainly got fitter over that <laughs> the course of the training. Oh, I would think so. And how long did it take you to do? In the end, it was seventy five and a half hours, which is longer than the, the actual challenge is supposed to be done within forty eight hours. But I wasn't. I I, right. I, I wasn't. Key, I, I'm not somebody who can do. It you know, can aim to do it in that sort of time. Right. Your, your goal wanted, was to get it done. I wanted to get it done. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And during that time, do you, do you rest? Do you sleep at all? Is there any, what types of breaks? I had just over 14 and a half hours, I think. Um, was it just over? I'm just trying to remember now. 61. 55. I think it was just over 40, about 14 hours, maybe um, rest, mm. but I only slept for about three and a half hours of that when we actually, when I actually looked, at, looked at the timings. So my, my brain was just fog at the end of it. <laughs> sure. Sure. 
So I'm curious, like, you know, you said you, you didn't start off necessarily, uh, you know, doing things like this. This no. is pretty intense. Um, most people at your age are not doing this. Uh, what draws you to these types of, you know, multi-day, multi-mountain, you know, tens of thousands of feet of elevation uh, challenges like this? What draws you to that? Yeah, interesting question. I There are a number of reasons that I do it. Um, there must be an element of addiction in there in some way for what I get out of doing it, both physically and mentally. Curiosity, I think, is the main thing. If anybody had told me 10 years ago that I was going to be doing these sorts of things, I didn't even know these things were possible. I didn't even know these things were out there to be done. That's to start with, let alone that, that you know, an ordinary person like me w- would be able to work towards them. So, and it's worth it's worth noting that it's only been about ten years since you've started running at all. It will be ten years in February, I think. Yes. Yeah. So, so it's not like you've been doing this your whole life. I I love looking back to school when they're like it's cross country time, and you're like I'm hiding, and and this is. <laughs> And I haven't forgotten that you said that. And and now it's like, this is like cross country to the 10th degree. (laughs) So, um, yeah, so curiosity, I suppose. First, particularly what my body will actually do for me. I'm I'm amazed that what uh, how we can adapt to accommodate that sort of in not just that sort of endurance, but the, but also the pain and the, that goes with it, the fact that we can repair as we go. You know, the, the brilliant thing about the, these sorts of endurance events is that you recover as you go. So you can push through stuff that you probably tell your patients not to <laughs> because, you, because you've got that experience. Um, so that's a big part of, uh that's a big part of it it's that curiosity um i think the so so i'm pushing pushing my own boundaries in the first instance and of course every time you go out and do something um you don't know because of the distances you're doing you there's no guarantee that you're going to complete them so you can't you can't be sure (laughs) that you're going to get round. So every time you need to approach each event as um, a brand new challenge, because you're in a different place, you might have, as I have at the moment, I've had a few months of injury, which I'm still sort of coming back from, um, which means that the next thing I do is going to be quite different. You know, I need to be thinking about quite differently um, in terms of how I train for it. and that can also mean in terms of if I'm likely to go slower, um, I may need to carry even more kit than I carry out in the hills because if I, you know, I, I might not be able to keep as warm if I can't move as quickly. So, so it's, there's, a, there's a physical challenge, but there's a big mental challenge as well. And I love doing the, the logistics, the science bit and the analytical bit behind that and working all that out. But the next part of it, really, for me, is came about um, when I did my first coast to coast um, across the country, which was up in 2016. 
um, which was about uh, which was a, a sponsored sponsored which which I got spot by and raised sponsorship doing, um, and it got me thinking about well how can I make what I do meaningful for other people, which is where eventually we so I set up a social enterprise called Going for Old, but the running granny which is a name that a friend's 14-year-old daughter gave me <laughs> a few years ago. Um, that's all about trying to encourage, motivate, and inspire other people to um, make their own lifestyle choices, to show them that, you know, you're never too old to set a new goal or dream a new dream. Um, I'm not suggesting people run. I'm suggesting that... The, the, what I do isn't just about physical activity. I wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't for the fact that I'm eating the right things, not drinking too much. I certainly couldn't do it if I hadn't made the social contacts that I've done in the running community. I've made loads and loads of friends across the age groups who come out and support me. Um, all much, you know, all much more experienced than I am. So. What I do now, it's more about illustrating how those small steps can come together. Um, so if you have dreams that, you know, if people, what I say is that if people have had dreams of doing things, whether it's learning a language, a musical instrument, learning to dance, play netball, any, any of those, any, anything, that, anything they can think about, it might not look like it would have done in their 20s, 30s or 40s, but they can still do it. There will be a way of do of, of achieving, you know, your goals of, of uh, in some way, um, because most, pretty much most reasonable things are accessible these days. Um, it's just a question of asking the right questions um, and finding the right resources to help you. So and so, and we need to continue to be curious. At my, I want to try and change perceptions of older age and what our expectations of our own older age is. Because despite the fact that there are very few people, or rather fewer people these days in their 60s who are sitting in rocking chairs with grey hair and, and bespectacled, um, you know that that doesn't really happen until that image isn't there until you get to what we now call the oldest old old you know over eighty five maybe, but society still has a way of, of of linking this stereotype to people once they get to sixty, and that has a way of influencing how we as individuals set our own expectations of ourselves. So that way you know that those 20 ways to kill an idea which include the people will think you know people will wonder what the devil i'm doing will i'll look ridiculous and they'll laugh at me but those those three things very much you know stick to that bit that says oh i shouldn't do that because yep. i'm 60 yeah and it's and i think for women especially i think like really gets stuck for women where men maybe might have a greater tendency to to go try something, go do something that might seem. My children will say to me, um, you know, even though they know what I do, they, I'm assuming they have 
sufficient faith in me to know that I keep myself safe out there. Well, you, you've got a track record at this point, so. But they, they, um, but they will, you know, still, you know, why do you do it? Shouldn't you be resting? <laughs> You're going to do yourself some damage. Whoa. <laughs> I'm, so I might, I'm wondering whether I'm actually being a role model for my children or not, but I, I have three small granddaughters and I hope very much to be a role model for them and just to be able to show to be able to try and change that up, this idea that you get into your 60s and you have to slow down and you have to stop doing things that you enjoy doing because, you know, they might damage you. Um, 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 there are lots of – one of the big things for me, I suppose, is to try and encourage people to – if they if they're going to do stuff, is they need to start slowly, carefully. They or to, the, the, There's a big tendency, and we will see it this January the same as we've seen it every other January – New Year's resolutions, they'll nip, they'll think, right, I'm off to the gym, they'll go to the gym, they'll do a couple of days in the gym, they'll follow it, and then they'll find themselves as stiff as boards. Maybe their back's aching, maybe, maybe they've, they've, you know, they've tweaked some muscle somewhere. Because they've tried to, in their heads, they remember that they used to be able to do something similar when yeah. they were in their teens. When they were younger, yeah. And their brains have tried to make their bodies behave in this in that way that they imagined it would be, when in actual fact they need to start off really, really slowly. Yeah, I mean, and look back at what how you did it, you know. And you were, I don't even know that you were being super intentional about it, but it's like it was all small steps, and and that that gets it gets lost. And this is something as a fitness coach that I struggle with when I when it comes to working with people or speaking to people because th there's just this mentality, this all or nothing mentality, basically that so many people live by where it's like, I'm either all in or I'm all out when I'm all in, I have to do this really restrictive challenge and eat completely, you know, like, you know, whole foods only and no booze and, and just go all in and then wonder why they can't sustain that. Whereas yeah. Whereas you were like, I just took these, like some started doing these small things every single day. And as you said, I don't do it all the time. Like there are days where I'm not doing this stuff, but my body is trained enough. My mind and body are trained enough to know that I can get back to it. And, and that's how, that's how humans are. Like, that's how we're wired to be. Uh, and we fight that. <laughs> like we want to fight that so hard by either going all in or, and then wondering, it's like, oh, this isn't working. I hate it. I'm miserable. Forget it. Do nothing. Yeah. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. 
We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Well, as you said, it, it, it's 10 years, 10 years on since I started the running, and it's been an iterative process, and I've had ups and I've had downs. Um, and, you know, I have got had injuries. I've got injury now. I'm just back to the gym this last month, um, which is the first time since uh, March of 2020, because we had seven months of lockdown and I overall and I don't generally go to the gym during the daylight hours as the summer months because I've got a big garden and uh, and I prefer to be outside. Yeah, so, I get that. I get that. So I'm now, <laughs> back, now back to the gym and I am such a weed <laughs> yeah, but my I, I I but it's just a case of you know working it up slowly you know and take it and I I can see that I'm making improvements but it has to be slow steady steps you know you go and pick up everything needs to to fit so it needs to develop and get used to moving again in a particular way but within literally within within two to three weeks of going back there, all the, a lot of the niggles that I was starting to get and the discomforts and the things that will have been, will have come from the imbalance of not doing that whole body workout type stuff, um, are all starting to settle down. So this is my second month back and I'll just start, I'll start, I'll just start to add in extra, you know, um, extra bits of kit and so on and extra activities um, while I'm there. But it is just going back to the point about people go all out on things. You know, you'll find, you know, people are, you know, people in their middle years will be carrying a bit of extra weight that they didn't have. They will have been sedentary for the most part. Um, although they won't think of themselves as sedentary because they're rushing around after, you know, women in particular rushing around after kids doing the shopping and what have you. But a lot of the time will be may well be spent sitting in front of the computer or you know collapsing with a glass of wine in the evening, whatever it, you know. I, I know I've been, I've been there. <laughs> know, what know what it's like. And then they go off and do something, and it hurt. You know, they they feel wrecked the next day, and they think, "Well, I shouldn't have done that. I'm obviously not meant to do it." It's that mindset that needs to be changed. So because they they can do it. But just not just it, just it just requires patience. And that's that's a struggle for so many people is patience. We want that instant gratification um, and our bodies may not be what they were when we were younger. I mean, ch- chances are they're not. Um, and this is, you know, this is an issue, you know, I, this podcast is, I interview people from 40 up, I'm 46. This is a message that women in their forties get. It doesn't start at the sixties. It starts as early, you know, it starts here where, where people are trying to tell us that we're old and frail and over the hill and, and, uh, shouldn't be doing these things. That's right. So, so just going back to the other part of my message. So having been a medic, having predominantly worked with older people, um, I've also 
been a trustee with an Age UK charity for five years and also chaired a health and wellbeing forum for local government. Um, so I've a number of different perspectives on older people and life is jolly miserable for, pe- for older people uh, in, in, for lots of reasons, but particularly if, if they have health problems. And the fact is that a lot of long-term, you know, there are quite a few long-term conditions that are preventable. So, but by making different lifestyle choices, if people know about the, the, those, you know, that what the potential consequences are. So in the UK, for example, and this is old data, so these figures will be higher, under the age of 40, 14% of people have at least one long-term condition. Over the age of 60, it's 60%. Now, and that's at least one long-term condition. In terms of chronic ill health, um, gen- from about the age of 65, when you look at life expectancy, men will live the next 16 years in chronic ill health and women 19 years in chronic ill health. So that's a, you know, a third under a third of their lives again that they will live with chronic illness so there's there's a tendency which makes me very does make me quite cross and frustrated for some reports to look at these sorts of figures and say well older people older people when they get to 60 you know they get sick well actually they don't those long-term conditions have been developing throughout their lives as a consequence of the choices they've made. Not all of them, but things like high blood pressure, type 2 diabetes, your heart disease, some of the respiratory diseases, particularly if people have smoked. Um, So they've, obesity, huge problem, huge problem, you know, here. And the right, but with the right, support and the right choices and the right messages we you know those things needn't happen but it's very difficult none of us none of us can change the world but what we can do is make we can we can if we choose to we can make changes for ourselves that overall might help yeah and by and i mean in your story by making this change for yourself you've actually become an advocate to help others. And I think that's something that I've seen in a lot of the people I've talked to for this podcast, because the trend here, I've interviewed people up to 96 years old. Um, wow. <laughs> yeah, so 40 to 96 years old. So I've covered the age spectrum, all active people, various different degrees, various different sports doing the stuff that lights them up. But the common trend is that they have thwarted some of these you know, chronic health issues that so many people in their age groups are dealing with, they seem happy, uh, you know, like mentally, mental health, uh, from the mental health perspective, like they, they seem happy in their lives and their choices, um, and they love helping others. And so, you know, we, we can't change the world, but we can make a difference in our small ways. And I think having you here, you know, hopefully somebody listening is going to, to take note of, of what you said. And we haven't even like 
we could go on for hours about what you do, <laughs> you know, your, your achievements. Like I, I have your bio in front of me and you, you know, in 2019, you did the John O'Groats to land end, uh, 875 mile distance. Um, and I, you know, I don't want to spend a lot of time because I've already had you on here for a while. Uh, but I do want to touch on that real quick because that's extraordinary. In the bio, it says that you had to reframe your expectations of that run. So I want to talk about that specifically. What does that mean for you? And what lesson can you maybe pass on to somebody else uh, from your experience? Yeah, so, so I... I trained for, so this was running on road. This wasn't on the fells. So it was road running um, from John O'Groats to Land's End. So that's the top of the UK, the very tip, north uh, eastern tip to um, the south, southwestern tip um, at Land's End. And the reason that I did it was to start to try and um, raise awareness of healthy aging and the need for people to make better life choices, you know, better or different life choices. Um, and so we chose that I chose that route because everybody in the whole of the UK is affected by it, but also, um, and, and, it's, and it is everybody, even those who are fit are affected by people who are not healthy because of the costs to the health service and so on. And, and, you know, they, that there is an in, the capacity gap between the ability of the health services to deliver and the resources that sorry, and the demand on those services is ever growing. We're never going to see you know, to see that shrink. So the more people can, over time, it will be more and more difficult for people to get the services that they need. And we are already seeing that following you know COVID. This you know. The data I mentioned earlier, those few stats go are, are six years old for this country. Um, so the more people can look after themselves, then the better experience they will have as, as they age. And that's whatever age they are. That's not from just, you know, that's cradle to grave. That's not just a healthy aging is about cradle to grave. The minute you say aging, people think older age groups and that's not, you know, and that, that's that's wrong. So, um, so yes, so I wanted to raise that message. I had expectations of um, what I might run each day, I suppose, or how soon I might do it or how I might feel. I did everything I could. I sat down at the start and I did a, I sort of produced my hazard log, if you like, of what, what could, what, you know, what can possibly go wrong. And then I worked out how best I could mitigate all those risks. And in terms of road running, the biggest problem, in fact, not just for road running, but anybody running that distance is shin splints, whether it's on the road or off road. And I had there were a few people I knew that had tried it the previous year and both had had to stop partway because of shin splints. Others had stopped, had tried it. And these weren't particularly people I knew personally, but but knew of. others had tried it and become too exhausted or not fed themselves properly. Um, and also the mindset, you have to train your brain to be able to cope with being out on main roads, because these are busy main roads with juggernauts a metre away from you. And in the rain, it's chucking up. I've got some great photos where, that people took where this, this spray from these wagons is just you know, firing over me on this busy, this busy A road. Um, anyway, <laughs> so... Um, 
So you can only ever, it's like anything else that you've not done. You can only ever imagine what it might be like. Um, but doing something that you are, well, so I had a minimum of about six hours downtime every night. So there was chronic fatigue built up, obviously, both physically and mentally. And it, it, you just have to dig deeper and deeper to get through it. And I, start, I ended up with shin splints on day two on, in one of my legs. And the other one joined two days later, although the other side wasn't as bad as the, the first side. And I just looked at this and I, I knew there was something wasn't right. And I took my sock and shoe off, got into the motorhome, took my sock and shoe off at lunchtime. And I looked at this and I thought, my first thoughts were, you can't possibly do another 800 miles on that. And then I think I was, um, you, 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 it was one of those moments, I think, where your whole life sort of passes in front of you in seconds. And in my case, this was about my whole life for the last 18 months. Everything had gone into preparing for this. And I had the crew and I had the motorhome and I had all the food and I had and, and, and. It was all, there was this total expectation, my expectation myself. And I just thought, and I had about 30 seconds of that. And then I just flipped and said to like, give me my, you know, can you, uh, I'll have something to eat, please. And can you get me my um, medical, you can get me my medical kit and can you get me my foot care kit? And so I then looked at what, you know, so I immediately flipped into, right, you know, we, how, what, what have I got here? We're going to carry on. So I was prepared for every, anything to happen. It sounds like it was fighting, it, you'd had to fight your brain. Like that was the biggest villain in yeah. potential so villain. Case, so it was a case of, you know, we have no problems, only opportunities. And for me, it was big opportunities. I've all I've I've long pushed the idea that with soft tissue injuries, you don't, you don't, unless you've unless it's so serious, you know, it's you've actually ruptured the, the ligament or you know, more, you know, more seriously torn it. You know, for most things. Soft tissue injuries need to be mobilized because otherwise you just stiffen up. And uh, I think my partner put it put it um, well in he said, the fact that you're a doctor yourself, now the fact that I'm a doctor myself, meant that there was no need for me to, there was nothing lost in communicating between what was happening to me to somebody, communicating it to somebody else for them to make a decision as to what to do. I could just He's totally self-contained in, I know how much this is hurting. I know, you know, what's making it better and what's making it worse. So I'm going to just choose to trace it myself and carry on. Um, so, yeah, I had to reframe expectations of how. But within a fairly short period of time, I mean, I carried on and did, um, I did 50, 56 miles that day. Hmm. <laughs> so it was. But yeah, once you kind of snapped back in, you were you were good to go. So it's, it was about managing it. So, and then I, um, yeah, I learned lots of things. I'm, I'm you know, calo- how many calories do you need to do these things, uh, these sorts of things? I'm, I've got a really slow basal metabolic rate. It's about 1,100 calories a day. It's really, really low, <laughs> which is frustrating because I do like my food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um so uh, I, 
and I've we, we've actually calibrate, calibrated through. Um, I have a sister who's a PT, and when she was doing her last one of her assessments, she used me as her guinea pig, and that was when I was doing the joggles. So, um, a couple of years running, she did a very detailed. Um, nutritional assessment so I wrote down everything I took in over a number of days and she then worked it out to the point where she was able to say to me you're not taking in quite enough international units of vitamin A <laughs> so it, was, it, it was really detailed but what we were able to do with that and by looking at what training I was doing on those days as well and that we could calibrate what Garmin come up with came up with in terms of the figures that they would they were saying I was using per activity and they were pretty and then through the day and they were pretty bang on which which surprised me um so I do know that you know I don't actually I, I have a pretty slow burn rate but I'm hoping with being back at the gym now I'll put a bit more lean muscle on and I'll, <laughs> I'll build it all I build it up again so, so yeah, so just reframing my thoughts about um, and my expectations in terms of how quickly I was going to get down the country and then learning to, that it was going to be another number of days that I was going to have to wake up and get into the pain cave in order to get out on the road and start. Um, and just trying to get, mentally over that or try not not to make it a barrier to actually getting out and getting going um and some days the pain got so bad that I really just focused on as I was carrying a tracking device so people could follow my route down the country um and importantly so the crew knew where I work was um but some days I and towards the end I literally just focused on the fact that there were other people out there watching and I needed to keep making my dot move south. <laughs> that, that it's like a, just that accountability was all you all, yes. all you needed. Yeah. <laughs> Make yeah. that dot move. And you got, you know, you ended up uh setting a Guinness world record as the oldest female to do this when I all did. was said yeah. and done. Do you still have that world record? I do. I do. Yeah. I mean like nobody else has has, has passed it or anything. No, I've not been told they do. They're like, this is mine forever. <laughs> Very nice. That's an amazing accomplishment. So something we talked about before we started recording that I really want to touch on while we're recording is that, you know, you've, you've just talked about some really extraordinary feats that you have accomplished. 875 miles top to bottom of your country. Uh, you know, the, the Steve Parr round and there's, that's just a couple of the big things that you've done. You've, you've done 50 milers, hundred milers, uh, 24 hour races, cycling, swimming, all sorts of stuff. And yet when we were talking before, before we started recording, you talked about how you have a hard time identifying yourself as an athlete. Why do you think that is? Ooh, because I, I wasn't sporty at school. So I think there was a, there was a, um, maybe a flag set in my brain at that time that said, um, that just says, you know, you're not sporty and you're not, you're, you're not an athlete. Um, I don't even think of myself as a runner <laughs> because I, I'm, I live in the Lake District and I am, this place is, this, this 
area is full of elite runners who are doing extra, absolutely extraordinary things, um, extraordinary times and so on. Um, and I'm I'm a completely I'm an ordinary person. I'm a I'm not an, I'm not an elite runner. Um, and yeah, it's it's an it's, interesting thing that happens because it, it sounds like it comes from a place of comparison for you, where it's like I you know I saw these kids when I was little and they were doing they were playing sports they were playing organized sports I wasn't doing that I'm I might be climbing you know tens of thousands of feet. In a, yeah. in a 48 hour, 72 hour period, but like, but I'm not an elite runner like these people. So I guess I, you know, no, so it's interesting. Yeah, no, I'm not. I mean, I can, you know, it's, I guess it's an athletic, you know, I would consider you know, the Steve Power round, is, there's no question that's an athletic endeavor, except I didn't do it in the Steve Power at time. I would never have been able to do it in that sort of time. Um, there is that's a, an expectation set by somebody else, you know. I mean, there, there is a there is a there is a film that a filmmaker came and made a film of my doing the, the round, and you know, when you when I look at myself on that, I'm clearly not an elite runner. You know, I'm an ordinary person out there <laughs> moving up and down. Well, sure, but so it's um, yeah. I mean, I don't. I, it's it's a difficult one. I um. I guess I have to think, well, what would I be saying to somebody else yeah. if they, they were doing the same thing and uh, and they were telling me that they, they felt like that? I just guess don't I don't sort of feel worthy of the you know of the title. <laughs> it's so it's so interesting, but and it's something that people struggle with because I think the word athlete, there is no one definition of the word. Uh, I think we set in our minds that there is one definition of the word and we connect it to elites or we connect it to people who've been doing this stuff their whole lives. But, you know, you, you have a body, you move it and you, the way I look at athletes, you have a body, you move it and you test it, you know, and, and you enjoy, like, that's, that's something you enjoy is putting, putting your body to the test and, and, and not just body, mind and body, because that's part of being an athlete is training your mind and body to work together. Based on that, it sounds like you're an athlete. Um, <laughs> so, but it's an interesting thing and it's something people struggle with. I think it's something women struggle with. It's something people who start later struggle with. Um, and so I think, you know, and I think it also is relatable that like, despite what you have done and what you have accomplished, like you still fight some of the same things that so many people deal with in, in that, you know, judging your own self self-worth based on what other people have done or what other people, how other people have defined things. Um, but you know, it's, it's, it's a fluid word. It's, you know, but it sounds to me like you're an athlete, but yeah. <laughs> Okay, well, I'll I'll accept that. Okay, <laughs> I, I yeah. The the only limits really are in your own head. You know, they're in your own mm -hmm. imagination. And it, it, I mean, it often saddens me, but it's a case. It, it's it's the truism that 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 people are often more put off pursuing a dream or an ambition um, because their peer group feel threatened by it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. There's somebody who says, "Oh, I'm going to, you know, I think I'm going to join the gym. I'm going to go out and I'm going to try and lose this weight." And you know, three other, three of your girlfriends sit around and say, 
what on earth do you want to do that for? You're fine as you are, you know, you'll get all you'll get all hot and sweaty and you'll go red in the face. And, you know, how many times have you talked about running and people ask, who are you running from? I would only run if someone's chasing me. Oh, the, the thing I get is the thing I often get is, well, you know, I don't even drive my car that far. Fine. Well, yeah, it's not it's not nearly as fun. <laughs> absolutely not i'd probably get there quicker than you <laughs> i you know i i lived in los angeles so i've i've had those those trail runs and hikes where it's like i think i got here faster than i could have driven um but but yeah it's it's the peer group gets threatened and it also threatens your social time with them because you might want to go to bed earlier so you can get up earlier to to go to the gym or go run and then you don't see them as much anymore um and that they they can resent that too you make new friends, you make like-minded friends. And I think there are, one of the things that um, social media is actually, social media gets blamed for an awful lot of things, but one of the things it's actually quite good for is virtual groups, virtual sporting groups. So virtual, you know, there are a number of virtual run groups, that, you know, of which I'm aware. And it's a place where people can go and find like-minded people who are, you know, like them, they might be stopping smoking and wanting to get fit, or they might have been overweight, or they might be like me, over, overworking and overweight and wanting to do stuff. Uh, and they just want somebody to, or some people with whom they can communicate, um, and people who will, can, you know, it's not even about giving them advice. It might be, although there's a lot of that goes on. It may be something simple as saying, I've just completed my first mile. I mean, my, my first mile took me about a month to, to complete. <laughs> and even then it was just about my walking pace when I could do it continuously. But everybody's been there. Anybody who, be, who got into running remembers where they started, how hard that first mile was. You know, it's like, you know, watch a baby, you know, a baby falls down how many times when it's trying to walk, how many times when it just gets up, it doesn't have 20, no. those 20 ways to kill an idea in its head. So right. oh, that hurt. <laughs> I better not do that again. You know, none of us, none of us would ever walk if we had that, you know, all of that comes from society, from the people around us. Um, and it's but you can find you know through as I say through social media you can find people that you can say I've just done my first mile and people come back yeah that was brilliant you know whatever um and they will encourage you know they'll encourage you and give you that support to carry on so you know it's a good yeah yeah it's not all bad social media so um (laughs) as we get ready to wrap up this is this has been a great conversation I think we covered a lot of really really useful and helpful topics for our listeners um how can people find more find out more about you um and and your social um your social enterprises as well Okay, so um, I am. I have a website which is www.therunninggranny.co.uk. Um, I and on that website, there's a section on uh, on one of the tabs on small steps, and that will take you to the thirty small steps that I originally posted about. Um, there's also another section called Heart Healthy Habits, which has got a whole load of stuff that I've covered um over the last year um starting in january with a few ideas for people to get people through um new year's resolutions but then also 
bit more detail on different topics that I did in a 62-day countdown to my 62 at 62. Um, and they'll find me on social on uh, Instagram and Facebook at the Running Granny. And I'm also on Twitter uh, as running underscore granny. Fantastic. I'm gonna I I need to follow you because. I love everything you do. Um, before we go, I, I always end with this question. It tends to put people on the spot a little bit, but we'll see. Um, if you could leave us with one parting piece of wisdom, what would that be? Always be curious. That's that, if you if, question everything. When you, get the, when you get an answer, say, and why is that? And why is that? And if you just, you know, keep, you just keep questioning, but question yourself. So what is possible? You know, what can I do next? Or, okay, so I've got this injury and I can't do that right now. What can I do instead? Um, but always be curious. You, you know, if most people sat down with a pen and paper for five minutes. They could probably write down at least a dozen things that they've said in their life. Um, if I had my time over again, I would do such and such. And I would say... You don't have to have your time over again. Why not you can now? Do it now. Yeah. Be, be curious. Go and make, just go and inquire. Look, you know, find somewhere where you can get information on how you can do that now. And then, you know, you'll feel a lot more fulfilled because at the end of the day, um, you really don't want too many things on that list when, when they're about to put you in your box. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, if you lead from a place of curiosity, you're moving away from a place of saying no to, to things or telling yourself why you can't. And it's more of a, how can I? Um, Einstein apparently said, um, I have no special talents. I'm just passionately curious. And I think if I were to align myself to any, any sort of words of wisdom, um, it would be those. I don't have any special talents. I'm just curious, determined, and prepared to blot out the naysayers. That's that's a perfect way to end right there, I think. <laughs> Love it. Angela, thank you so much for taking the time and coming on to the Seasoned Athlete Podcast to share your extraordinary story and the, the advice and the lessons that I think could benefit so many of our listeners in so many different ways. Um, if you are listening, do dig into Angela's story so you can find out more of the extraordinary things she does, follow her on social media. And Angela, once again, thank you for being on the Seasoned Athlete Podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having you. It's been super to talk to you. I'm really honored to be here. Thank you. Seasoned athletes, if you've fallen out of your fitness routine and the idea of jumping back in feels as daunting as putting together a work presentation the night before you have to present it, I have a fun freebie for you. Introducing the Off the Couch Starter Pack. Inside this free download, you'll find six days of strategically programmed workouts and recovery sessions for any fitness level, all designed to get you up, get you moving, and get you excited about working out again. I paired every workout and recovery session with its own hand-curated Spotify playlist to ensure that you're moving with joy every step of the way. Because that, my friend, is how you get fired up to get back into fitness again. So, 
If you're looking for a way to open that door that's been closed for far too long and to do it in a way that's simple, effective, and fun, download my free Off the Couch Starter Pack now through the link in the show notes or at robinleggett.com slash bycouch.